on this edition of the Iowa Business Report. So there's a lot of uh, resources here where they can either train their employees, learn what's possible, and, and just get a lot of important information. An update on the unique Foundry 4.0 project that involves Iowa manufacturers and one Iowa University. A prediction about the Federal Reserve's next move on interest rates. And in our business profile, you'll hear about how some shopping malls have adapted to changing customer needs. This is the Iowa Business Report for the final weekend of August 2023. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. Earlier this year, we told you about a unique partnership that involved two universities, the University of Northern Iowa and Youngstown State University, and the Defense Logistics Agency and the National Center for Defense Manufacturing and Machining. This past week, two individuals associated with the effort were back in the Cedar Valley to review progress. Brian Schmidt is Program Manager and Director of Laboratory Operations for NCDMM. Ken Carson is Senior Program Engineer. Ken, what's the point of the project? Why are you folks partnering with universities, and what is it that's lagging in this industry? So it's uh, more or less the the uh, technology. So it's a it's an older industry that's which is done really good. But for the parts that need to be made for the defense industry, they need more technology. They need to improve the technology that's being used now. Plus, they also need to have industries that will stay. Uh, profitable so they actually have a a customer base to get their parts. Brian when you folks were here before it was December and you were doing site visits and here we are now I guess eight months later where have you been and what have you been seeing? So there has been a lot of interaction with what we'll call the uh, the environment or or the players in the industry so reaching out to uh, regional and national associations related to uh, castings has been one of the overriding activities that provides guidance into the wants, needs, and desires of those people that are engaged in metal casting so that we're not making decisions or providing guidance without that input in ways that are uh, very important to those individuals. In addition to that, we have concluded the procurement activity at both of the universities, University of Northern Iowa and Youngstown State, to uh, provide exposure to the art of the possible. So there's robotic techniques that have been implemented uh, in casting operations that can be seen to uh, provide an understanding of the art of the possible within the castings industry related to advanced manufacturing technologies that can be implemented. So Ken, by having the universities involved, And having input from the industry, I'm guessing that allows some of the research and development, if you will, to be amped up in a way that those individual companies themselves could not either afford to do or might not have, frankly, the skill set to do because it's new stuff. Is that fair? So that's very fair. So, yes, both universities have been stood up to not only at the end of this project, but for a very long time to show the art of the possible to maybe up-and-coming companies to show them what, what can be done and also uh, companies now. So, yes, it's very important to demonstrate to leaders that are w- willing to put in some time and money 
for this technology to actually show them that this will work. As someone who taught at the college level for 25 years, Brian, I know sometimes there's a disconnect. And the field I taught in was communication. And we would bring people in from the industry to talk in a very real-world way to the students and try to get equipment that was very similar, etc. Feels like a similar situation here where if you just stay in your own academic bubble, you're going to turn out great students who don't have transferable skills to what the industry needs. That is a fair statement. I don't think that it's actually related to this project, though. That's great. So, yes, absolutely. (laughs) So, you and I is very uh, connected with this industry, as is the Youngstown State University. Very connected to that industry, very strong regional players, and that's one of the reasons why we chose them. That's one of the reasons why we value their input. That's one of the reasons why uh, it was such a value add having them on the team. They're well-known in the industry and their physical locations, one in Ohio, one here in Iowa, kind of divides it up equidistant, so to speak, from anybody that would like to see in person some of this technology in use. So, Brian, how long has the project been going on? The three of us met, as I said, last December. I don't know if that was an early phase or if you had been involved prior to that time. So we were involved prior to that time. Uh, We are at about the 15 to 18 month mark into the project, and we have about 12 more months before the conclusion of the project. So Ken, assess the progress from when you folks were here eight months ago, which in essence, based on that timeline, that was half a project ago. So are you seeing the kind of progress you want to see and where do you go from here? Yes, especially today, me and Brian were here in December. A lot of stuff at the tech works was a machine in the corner or on a pedestal. It wasn't actually working. Today, we actually saw stuff work, programmed, and uh, a lot of progress has been made in the last eight months that will benefit this project. How do you measure success? I don't know. There's always uh, the project has certain uh, aspects that has to be delivered to the DLA, so that's one aspect of it. Success is basically uh, is the industry in improving, and that's our overall goal for our company is to improve, you know, advanced manufacturing. Uh, this happens to be sand casting. Now, Brian, obviously this has implications for the defense industry, but that then also spins out into all manner of manufacturing, doesn't it? It absolutely does. So the casting industry is going to benefit from this engagement in particular, and it is by design, small and medium-sized manufacturers that don't typically have an engineer on staff or don't have a, you know, that type of resource to go out and determine technology or find technology that is applicable to their business. Essentially, we are providing them a resource where they can kick the tires, so to speak, and get real-world input based upon their wants, needs, and desires their manufacturing facility. So Ken, as we look at how things have changed in manufacturing over the course of time, those of us who have only seen from a distance can only begin to imagine, but it's very different than it was when any of us were in the place of these college students who are involved. Give me a sense of how different this is for these individuals who are running these operations from the time They may have first signed on, or were you first signed on in this kind of a world? How different is it now? What are some examples? The main difference is a lot of the processes that we were probably used in the 80s and 90s was more of a manual process. 
a lot of hit and miss, you know, probably uh, quality wasn't there, but or you had to make a lot of parts to get a certain output. Nowadays, profit margins are really, really slim, so you, you can't make a lot of parts without making parts that are actually good. So that's the big difference, that there's very slim margins, and you have to be spot on basically the first time. Brian, the technology has just changed this, because when we talk to people of a certain generation, we talk about, quote, manufacturing broadly. They think of 40 and 50 years ago, manufacturing. It is a much different thing today, and we find young people are interested in the field, and they have to convince their parents of what it's really like, because again, the parents are operating on old information. That's exactly correct. So we had a lot of discussions about that exact topic today. So they call it 3D manufacturing. This is old manufacturing. 3Ds meaning dark, dangerous, and dirty, okay? (laughs) It has transitioned from that. And it's interesting enough that, speaking of the parents, they'll actually have Parents' Day in some of these academic environments to bring those folks in that are our age, that, you know, identify manufacturing as 3D manufacturing. Sure. To show them how it has changed, how it is different. It's clean. The safety standards are much better now, far removed from what we had seen in the past. So when you come back to visit us, and we were talking off here when you came the first time, we had serious snowfall, and now it's literally 100 degrees outside. I have no idea what the weather will be like, but what do you hope to find when the seasons change and you make another site visit? I would like to see a a lot more exposure to regional manufacturing, small and medium-sized manufacturers. You're talking about having the actual business owners be involved with a project like this and be plugged in. Plugged in, come in and see the uh, facilities, and we have an outreach component to this project as well. So we'll be actively going out and soliciting and providing or conducting manufacturing assessments associated with the kind of the adoption of technology and understanding where the, where the pitfalls are, where the barriers to entry may be. Brian Schmidt is Program Manager and Director of Laboratory Operations for the National Center for Defense Manufacturing and Machining. Ken Carson is Senior Program Engineer. We connected in Waterloo on Tuesday, August 22nd. To learn more about the project and its impact in Iowa, contact Paul Kinghorn or Todd Hutchison at Advance Iowa, online at AdvanceIowa.com. Still to come, interest rate increases. And later, hanging out at the mall takes on a whole new meaning. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. August is Soybean Month in Iowa. Join the celebration by activating your Iowa Soybean Association Farmer membership at no additional cost. Take advantage of your membership by participating in farmer-focused research trials, producer programs, and staying connected to the latest industry news. Activate or confirm your membership before August 31st and be entered to win a drone or other unique prizes. Visit IASoybeans.com today and use promo code DRONE2. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advanced Peer Groups, hosting informational meetings about their fall launch of peer sessions in Cedar Rapids this Wednesday, August 30th, and in the Cedar Valley on Wednesday, September 20th. To register or get more information, go to AdvanceIowa.com. The annual Money Conference was held at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell spoke this past Friday morning, and based on his remarks, 
Financial journalist Jordan Goodman says another Fed rate increase is in store when the board meets next month. Basically saying we're making progress, but we're not there yet. He's holding to his 2% inflation target. Uh, The latest CPI number was 3.2%. But even more important is the so-called core rate of inflation, which does not account food and energy, which are so volatile. And that's at about 4.5%. So we're not at 2%, and I think they're going to raise rates again at the uh, September meeting, which would bring rates up to 5 and 3 quarters percent. We're at 5.5% now on the Fed funds rate. And that's pushed up rates across the board. The 10-year Treasury is now about 4.3, which is the highest it's been in a long, long time. Mortgage rates are about 7.2, which is the highest they've been since 2001. Credit card rates are over 20%. I mean, rates are going up all over the place because the Fed wants to keep slowing this economy, which is too strong for them. And we had a 2.3% GDP growth in the second quarter. Third quarter and now is probably going to be in the 3% growth rate. This is just too hot for the Fed, so they want to slow it down. I mean, we were used to zero interest rates for a very, very long time. And for the last year or so, rates have been rising on savings, CDs, and money market mutual funds, which are tied to treasuries. I mean, short-term three- and six-month treasury bills are yielding about 5.5% these days. So that's what the money market funds are paying. The problem with that, those high interest rates is it's making the budget deficit go up a lot. Because the, the treasury, which used to be paying zero on treasuries, is now paying 5.5% on an increasing amount of debt. We are issuing about a trillion dollars of new debt per month since June. Because, remember, the Treasury couldn't borrow from January through June because we hit the debt ceiling. The moment they got that debt ceiling raised with no limit, (laughs) they've been raising a trillion dollars a month in new debt. So I guess you could say the, the Treasury is making up for lost borrowing power. Coming up, it's not just a shopping trip anymore. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Looking for a great summer read? Pick up the July-August issue of Iowa History Journal, then sit back and relax with stories about Jesse Field Shambaugh, the mother of 4-H, the old Riverview Amusement Park, baseball umpire Don Dinkinger, Nobel Peace Prize winner John Mott, and the Sioux City Railroad Museum before you visit it this summer. Get your copy of Iowa History Journal at Barnes & Noble, Hy-Vee, Walmart, Books A Million, and iowahistoryjournal.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the latest quarterly member survey by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. We saw a news release about a new entity coming to Merle Hay Mall in Des Moines. But rather than a traditional retail store, this would be an indoor pickleball park. That led us to think about how malls have evolved in the face of changing times. So we connected with Liz Holland, CEO of Merle Hay Mall. As much as physical retail was competing, as you say, with online shopping, I think our competition has always been against obsolescence. And so what we learned after Jordan Creek opened in 2004 was that we really needed to pivot. We couldn't compete with the brand new Jordan Creek. We certainly couldn't compete with a strong Valley West. And what we noticed when we opened Target at the mall in 2005 is that even in its best form, an enclosed mall is a monthly needs destination for the people who are in that trade area. 
for most of those people, it's probably a quarterly needs destination. And what we saw when we added Target was that we became a weekly needs destination. We really leaned hard into becoming something that you thought about doing more frequently than once a month or once a quarter. And so what we did after Target was added was we took kind of that 60,000 square feet between what was the new Target and what had been Sears, and we created those interior and exterior kind of junior anchor boxes where we aggregated smaller spaces into bigger spaces, and we added Old Chicago and Ulta and Shoe Carnival and at the time Staples, and now it's Ross took Staples Place, Shoe Carnival is still there, Ulta is still there. Five Below took Old Chicago space. So we've continued to redevelop those boxes as people's shopping habits changed. And so we've just really found over time that the retail really gravitated towards the east. We added Flicks in the middle in 2014, which was the first full service, eat at your seat, order a micro-brewed beer on the premises movie theater, that really changed our profile because we were weekly needs to the East with Target and all the junior anchor boxes. We were really destination entertainment in the middle with Flix, which is still a unique offering even in the state almost 10 years later. And so as we watched how people used them all differently once Flix came in, the West Side really needed to be something different. What can we do in the back to really reinforce that sports offering? We just opened Kids Empire in the old MC sports space, 17,000 square foot kids entertainment area just off the food court. We think that's a great match. And so when we had the opportunity to do pickleball inside the coal store, we thought that was prime because while people of my generation will go and watch other people play hockey, I'm not strapping on my skates to play hockey, but I would strap on my sneakers to play pickleball two or three times a week if I had that much free time. And so I just think it's a much wider universe of potential users. It's a much wider group of folks who now have a reason to come to Merle Hay on a weekly needs basis. I mean, it's as simple as that. As you talk, it occurred to me In the old days, you would think of four anchor stores, and it might be, and these again are legacy names, Yonkers and Sears and Pennies, and I had never thought of it as a monthly or quarterly destination. But if you want to generate enough traffic, you've got to get people there more often, and that's why malls, not just yours but others, they brought in a Walmart or a Target as an anchor tenant because then that generated more traffic. And what you've done now, it seems to me, is to say we have this real estate and what we're doing is concentrating the weekly need shopping here, a little bit of recreation here, a little bit of food and other entertainment here. You're still making it a destination one-stop, not so much shopping, but consumption. And that, Mm -hmm. that helps revitalize the area. Yep, absolutely. I'm always going the places that I go and the people that I talk to looking for things that you can't do at home in your bunny slippers, right? What forces you to get out? And that's one of the things that as I've seen certain other malls, stores leave and there's a for rent sign. They, they haven't taken the initiative to really reinvent in the same way. How distinctive are the efforts of Merle Hay Mall when you compare with other traditional shopping malls around the Midwest? 
we have a couple of things going for us, right? You know, it's always a headwinds and tailwinds question. The headwinds are just as you described. We've got different kinds of competition now than we did when we opened Merle Hay Plaza in 1959. It was an unbelievable source of pride to my grandfather that he would look around the Sunday dinner table and say there was a license plate from every one of the 99 counties in Iowa in our parking lot at Christmas time. Well, those days are no longer happening. And so the question always became to me is how do you stay just ahead of why people would want to come to Merle Hay. I mean, we're very centrally located. We're still located close enough to the interstate to really be easy access. And so really it was just thinking about how people want to use those kinds of properties. The advantages that we've had is that we only own one enclosed mall. We have other open-air shopping centers, but we have one mall. So we can spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about that one project. You know, when you own a lot of them, you tend to paint with a broader brush and it's much easier if you're going to rent one store to this tenant to rent it to, you know, the next 15 shopping centers have that store too. And so we've never really had a homogenous approach to it because we've had the luxury of not having to have a homogenous approach to it. Liz Holland, CEO of Merle Hay Mall in Des Moines. We connected via Zoom on Thursday, August 24th. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. That's where you'll find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.